Welcome back to Rethinking Politics, episode 104. Today, we're going to be talking about immigration, which is something that has been recently brought into the spotlight as a couple of conservative governors of Texas, Governor Abbott and Governor DeSantis in Florida, have pulled off a uh, political stunt involving shipping illegal immigrants to uh, high publicity areas such as uh, Vice President Kamala Harris's uh, residence in D.C. and uh, most notably uh, Martha's Vineyard, which I don't know where it is. It's an island. I assume you can ask Martha and find out more information. Uh, A very, very exclusive, very rich area. Uh, You know, basically a tourist trap for rich people, really rich people. (laughs) You know, uh, former president, you know, Barack Obama's got a, a mansion there to give you an idea of the kind of people hanging out there. Like most politicians, it's well beyond his political salary should have ever been able to afford. But this is a story for another time. <laughs> that's another. It's another topic, Dan. Why? Why they end up with millions and millions and millions of dollars when you get four hundred grand a year at the peak of your political career is an excellent question. Turns out, all politicians are just excellent entrepreneurs and investors, unrelated to their time in office. Just it's, just it's just one <laughs> of those correlations. Yeah, sheer coincidence. So don't worry about it. Seriously though, back to the subject at hand. There's there's two big talking points right now. You know, right now the conservatives are having a great time bashing the liberals. They're like, hey, they they say they're pro immigration, but then as soon as immigrants actually show up on their doorstep, they start freaking out and sending them somewhere else because they don't want to deal with them. And then, of course, the liberals turn around and they're bashing the conservatives for uh, for pulling a political stunt and using these people as political pawns. And, of course, comparing them to all sorts of vile things. You know, they've been vaguely compared to uh, the Japanese internment camps. There was at least one person who made a, a vague reference to... Uh, to Hitler, which is always good. If if you're not winning the political argument, when in doubt, bring up Hitler. It's my it's my recommendation. I try to do it on a daily basis. Do it at work all the time. I'm like, are you, are you Hitler? That's right. Back down. Anyways, <laughs> so all of this has happened, and people are are spending all of this time throwing mud balls at each other, which we are really excited about because I think I think what politics in this country has really been lacking is the ability to throw mud at the other side. And so this is a great opportunity to do that. So what we're going to do is take time to throw mud at both parties. Isn't that right, Dan? <laughs> That's right. That's right. I was thinking I would just wallow in it was what I was planning to do today. I was just, just, gonna... just think of us as pigs. <laughs> Soak in it. Do what my uh, toddler it's not even a toddler yet. What he will do when he's a toddler. Just, just eat a little of it, maybe. Roll around in it. Splash. Oh, dude, my kid loves eating dirt. Dirt or standing water in the backyard. I swear, the only kind of water he doesn't like to drink is water in, you know, cups. <laughs> water that's actually uh, meant for human consumption. <laughs> yeah, that water is the worst. <laughs> that's but, the water but... he doesn't want. But bath water, mud water, standing water, yeah. bog water, oh, it's the best. Yes. Yeah, so there, there are two things specifically that we want to address here. Um, yes. 
<laughs> I I might. I might. I suppose now I don't know. My first thought was a bog. I associate with a swamp. I don't associate that with mud. I usually think of other things, but I suppose technically it probably is mud too. So no, I think you're probably clear. That that was a clear joke. Don't go, oh, you have to technically make it work. No, it works. It works. It worked. It worked. Wait, to be fair, just because it's a joke doesn't mean it works. <laughs> you, we, some of the things that have come out of your mouth in this show, and mine too, to be fair, but... <laughs> All right. I meant it works as a joke. It works now, as a joke. Now, do you have anything you'd great. like to say about politics? Maybe rethinking them? <laughs> no. Not today. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so Martha's Vineyard was an interesting thing. The first question I asked Brad when we came together on this is like, what is this? Is it right to describe what's happening as a political stunt? Which is to say, somebody's trolling somebody. <laughs> somebody is messing with someone. You know, it's it's meant to draw political attention. It's meant to make people look bad. And, um, and and I'd say the answer is yes, it's a political stunt. But you have to bear in mind, Dan, that I don't think of a political stunt as necessarily a bad thing. I think I think that that this world, I mean, there's a there's a large precedent for political stunts. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I mean, like you can go back to, let's say, the uh, the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s. And time and time again, what did they use? political stunts as in their goal wasn't to accomplish the said thing here you know what i mean the goal wasn't mm -hmm. to actually just be able to sit on the bus it was so much more than that you know what i mean so yes yes so to describe that as a political stunt is legitimate but it doesn't mean what they were doing wasn't wasn't good right right i agree with that completely i think a lot of politics is performative because if and it I wasn't a political stunt, you'd have to argue, well, DeSantis was like, I just didn't know where to send him. And the first place that popped in my head was Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> That's what it would have to be if it Clearly. wasn't a political stunt. And then all this news broke out. And he's yeah. like, why is anyone talking about this? I was just trying to find somewhere yes, to send yes. them. You know what I mean? This was a strategic call where he thought, where do I send these people to make news and mm -hmm. to get attention? And the idea is, is he getting attention for something good? And there's a, I guess there's also the question of, was it moral to do what he did? Because there's, there are ways to get attention where like, like sitting on a bus and breaking that law is entirely moral, right? In fact, you, you may have a moral duty. I think you have a moral duty to break evil laws, mm -hmm. uh, such as things that would, uh, you know, legal racism and so, so, so on. Um, but, uh, and that was another thing that we immediately agreed on was that this is, Yes, he got the agreement of the people he sent. Yes, he, they got it in writing even. <laughs> but there's still, you know, there was a big political game that these people couldn't have been aware of. And if you go and you look, um, they now know, the 50 people that were sent to Martha's Vineyard in particular, and I'm sure this is true of others, um, now know that this was part of a political maneuver. Mm -hmm. And what's funny is that there's a mixed reaction. Some of them are like, I don't care. I'm, and, and said they were grateful to DeSantis and others were like, yeah, we feel used. And mm -hmm. they were, they were used and both, both views are perfectly fine. They're grateful that they got sent there and got to go to such a cool place and eat awesome food and meet a lot of famous people. 
Yeah, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't mind getting dropped off in Martha's Vineyard. I would be a little right. bit annoyed when they ended up kicking me out. <laughs> That's right. After 48 hours, my favorite is they were like, we don't have the services here or the the facilities and the, you know, those kind of things cracks me up because it's 50 people and there's like tens of thousands of tourists to this place every year. Mm-hmm. They don't have mm-hmm. no housing or Anyway, there's you could talk about the details of the the morals of the people there. Some of the people who were like, "This is our opportunity. We got we have fifty people here. Let's show people how we should treat people who are in need mm-hmm. and actually mm-hmm. care for these people and and help them." Um, those voices ended up getting uh, shouted down, getting not shouted down, but they they did not win. The people well, after forty eight hours were sent and, off of, out of Martha's Vineyard, and that's going to become a little bit more clear why that happened when we talk about the immigration process itself. Because yes, there are humanitarian facilities, as in shelter and food for fifty people in Martha's Vineyard, and that's awesome. But immigration isn't about shelter and food. Immigration is about bureaucracy, and that's what Martha's Vineyard didn't have. You know what I mean? And there is a legitimate argument to be made there. And yes. And that's a and that's a whole nother can of worms. Yeah. Uh, if you're if you're listening to this and you've heard about Martha's Vineyard, you've probably got an opinion at this point. And so it may come to you as a surprise that this is more or less where we're going to leave Martha's Vineyard. Because the more we looked at this, the more we and we looked at immigration processes in general, like if he's going to fly 50 people to Martha's Vineyard, DeSantis, 50 illegal immigrants, right? These people mm-hmm. don't have the paperwork. They're not, they're, they, they might, through legal processes, be able to stay in the United States. But uh, for all intents and purposes, this is, this is an illegal immigrant, right? Mm-hmm. Um, why, if he's going to pay for a ticket, a plane ticket, why not fly them to Mexico mm-hmm. or out of the country? Or, where, or wherever they're from. Wherever they're from. If we're going to go through the trouble of buying a ticket, flying them somewhere, why not fly them home, right? That not that an obvious question that should be asked? Yeah, especially, especially, especially if he's a conservative who's opposed to illegal immigration in all its forms. You know what I mean? It's not yes. like, it's not like he's, and he's actually come out and said it, that he would be just fine deporting them. So we know that he's got the will. So why doesn't he do it? Why doesn't he do it? Yes. It, it, the other thing was, what, like, <laughs> so much of illegal immigration seemed to me to be finding the people. Because if it was someone sneaks into the country illegally, we've got laws that uh, if they're found, um, presumably they get deported. That's what I just always kind of assumed happens. and uh, and. We've all seen fun with Dick and Jane. <laughs> I haven't. <laughs> you haven't? Oh, uh, it's at, at one point in the movie. So it's all about this guy who loses his job during the, you know, during the, you know, the, the financial crash after, you know, 08. And because his, his corporation's evil and, and screws him over. So he's trying to find work. He ends up with some, you know, some people who don't have the the legal right to work, you know, behind like a Home Depot type thing, trying to find work. Ice shows up, grabs them all. He lost his wallet and he ends up getting just deported that same day and then doing a, uh, and then 
sneaking back into the United States, jumping over the fence, and there's all these ice cars everywhere, you know, just grabbing people, and his wife shows up, and they're just booking it out of there. But the point is, is that in that movie and many other movies, ICE is portrayed as very competent. You know what I mean? That it's hard to get in, in to, across the border. They're right there on you if you do. And yeah. when you get caught, you're just deported. Yeah, That's it's like kind the of thought the, police. People just disappear. Yeah, yeah. you get, you get picked up and then the next day you're, you're, you're back somewhere else. Yeah, um, and maybe at some point in time, that was closer to the truth. That is nowhere close to the truth at this point. That's not what happens. Now, it's possible that they do get picked up and they're put in some kind of detainment facility for the time being. And so you don't see them again. And it seems like they disappeared or got deported. Um, but they're basically just arrested. They're basically just uh, waiting for trial. Um, but there are so many details as we looked closer and closer at the way the border functions. So if you're thinking, if you've been a long time listener, you probably know we've talked about immigration at least once, and then we've touched on it several other times. We had at least one dedicated episode where we proposed what we think the policy should be regarding immigration. And it's, and it's unlike what either party is pushing for. Um, and when I say pushing for, I should probably put that in quotes because the laws just haven't changed and they could have. <laughs> they could have. Anyway, the Republicans were in control not that long ago of all three of both houses and the presidency could have changed laws. Did the Democrats could change the laws? Have well, I guess well, right yeah, now I'm, their majority is weak. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to disagree with you a little okay. bit there, Dan, please. I, cause, because I mean, you look at, you look at what, you know, Donald Trump did during his presidency and he did make changes at the border. He did increase, you know, the border wall as as much as you want to joke about that one way or another, that actually there actually was progress made on border security, and he did couple that with reducing the number of immigrants allowed into the United States through a, a variety of means. I mean, one of those was he significantly reduced the refugee cap year after year by as much as eighty five percent versus previous years. Right, right. So. So he was making changes that made it more difficult for people to come into the United States legally and made changes that were at least designed to make it more difficult for them to come in legally, which is a pretty clear policy. It's That policy says, I don't believe in illegal immigration. I don't believe in legal immigration. I don't want people coming into the United States. And if you want right. to read that another way, go ahead and try. But I mean, when you're cutting out you know, refugees, which is already a small number, like pre, pre-Trump, it was like 95,000 a year was the cap. And by, and then he brought that down to 18,000 and 15,000 at its lowest point. That's a huge cut to an already relatively small number. And it's, it's hard to justify that because that's not a simple process. That's not just letting people in across the border. That's letting people in who have references, who have done documentation, who have gone through an 18 to 24-month process, and who have a legitimate claim to needing refugee status. That's right. Refugees, then, by definition, are not coming into the country first. That's asylum. That's different. And so, so, I, so I would argue that conservatives right. are anti-immigration more than than democrats are or liberals are but i will agree with you that liberals when given the reins when given the power 
don't do the things they say they were going to do. They say they're pro-immigration, but they end up not making a lot of changes that they actually could make. And one of the most common things is that they don't do anything significant to change the number of legal immigrants coming into the United States. And and that's where a lot of this problem stems from is that right now we have a system that just is backwards. It is just backwards. And and the end result of that system is really one where the most logical thing to do if you want to become a permanent resident of the United States is not to apply for any kind of immigration status outside of the United States, but rather to enter the United States illegally and then go from there. And that's yeah. what more and more people are choosing to do. Yes, you're you're right. Uh, a couple of comments on that. Well, first off, you were right to point out that I was I was saying policy and laws, if they're interchangeable, they're not. The policy can be dramatically affected by the president, and Trump switched it in one direction, and Biden switched it back after. Um, and that that does set. If policy is about what's actually happening, then yes, you're right that that at that level the policy changes. Um, at the level of law, what has Congress actually decided? Um, things have not changed in a long time. Um, and it's, it's at that point that it feel that most of the changes should happen mm-hmm, and they're mm-hmm. just not, just, they just don't, they just don't ever happen on almost any issue. Um, if you've, you've listened to us, we talk about this a lot. Congress is just failing at their job. They're not really, uh, doing anything of significance. Um, so you're right. And, and as the policies have changed because of how the presidents have treated it, there is a corresponding change in the number of people trying to cross the border. Um, a lot less people tried to cross the border under Trump than are doing it right now under Biden. Um, and that's, you can think that's good or bad, but that is something that, is, that has happened. And it makes sense. Trump was, was turning more people away. Uh, was uh, trying to increase security, trying to prevent people from getting in successfully. Um, as we get into the way this all functions, you'll find that the most successful point at which people are turned away with no complications is at the border or before, you know, before they've really crossed into the country and been here for a while. After that, it gets really complicated, even when it seems like they're clearly illegal. <laughs> after, after that, Things change dramatically, but in terms of like the border patrol runs into them, they can, uh, they, uh, right at the border, they can see them, you know, they're coming across. Basically, you basically have them in the moment. You can solve the problem very quickly. Beyond that, it's a process and it's not a simple process. Which, which for the record makes sense is legitimate. You know what I mean? The, Mm -hmm. The last thing we want is for it to be like it is in fun with Dick and Jane and other movies where as soon as ice shows up, you're gone because I mean, there, there are a lot of serious problems with that. Number one, do we really want to live in a country where if you forget your wallet one day, you're in the wrong place, you could end up being deported to Mexico the next day. You know what I mean? That doesn't, that doesn't make sense. We, we want there to be due process. We want to make sure that assuming this is the law, that only the people who are actually breaking the law have consequences. And so that part makes a ton of sense, right? You want there to be due process. <laughs> but then it gets more complicated because it's not just about whether or not you're here illegally. It becomes a whole nother set 
of processes you can go through if you want to fight it. You can choose not to fight it, but most people don't because they chose to came here. They they chose to come here, came here, come here. Words are hard. They chose to do it illegally, usually through very difficult means, expensive means, unsafe means. And so they sacrificed a lot to be here, so they're not going to walk away. So they're going to exercise as many of those opportunities as they can to stay here. And that just makes sense. It does. It does. It makes sense that we would need a process to distinguish. Um, uh, we would need, I mean, it, it, we mentioned uh, refugees are different than people seeking asylum. Asylum means you show up and then you say, it's not safe for me where I'm from. It's it's dangerous, and that starts a process that can easily take years. Um, on paper, it takes 180 days, but then you have appeals, and it probably doesn't actually take 180 days <laughs> it, with the way the legal system works. Um, look, anyway, uh, asylum makes up a small portion, a very, very small portion of the total people coming across. Yeah, um, and but it has increased. It has increased lately. Yeah, and and I'm not surprised. Uh, it it's it makes sense that you would you have to you have to prove that you were in danger where you were coming from. But it makes sense that you you probably actually can prove that fairly easily, given how many categories now people can feel, giving changing uh, norms about what like feeling unsafe and those kind of things might, might imply. I imagine that that's a, that will be a continually growing number for a while. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Even if the world wasn't in turmoil over. I was about to food. say, <laughs> I was about to say, and then you've got more countries that are, that are struggling and, and not the countries are struggling, but the people in those countries are struggling. Like, uh, you know, I was looking at a Washington post article and they said they're one of the reasons there's been an increase in, Asylum claims is because you have more immigrants coming in from Venezuela, where there's a lot of stuff going on, and they're coming to the United States and seeking asylum after they get here. Because that refugee process is crap. That's the first thing we want to mention. Why would you come here and then seek asylum? Well, because the, the, the average wait time for refugee status, if you can get it, is 18 to 24 months. So if you need refugee status... <sighs> And you're willing to wait around for two years, maybe you're not in as much danger as you thought. You know what I mean? <laughs> How badly oh. can you need refugee status if you can wait 18 to 24 months? Yeah, exactly. Seriously. It's like, by definition, this is a stupid system. Yes. They're like, oh, I see. Oh, your life's in immediate danger? No problem. Fill out this form. Wait two years. We'll get back to you. You know what yes. I mean? It's just, yes. it's nonsense. No, it's you nonsense. Some of you may be hearing this being like, wait, it doesn't take nearly that long, right? Because just recently we had the Afghanistan thing and, uh, and refugees were getting, uh, we were getting, people were getting refugee status much quicker than that. That was because they waived a huge portion of the red yeah. tape for that, mm -hmm. specific, uh, for that specific occurrence. And this happens from time to time where they declare some kind of emergency and they, they and waive the red tape. And even with raving a lot of the red tape, it was still a huge was still problem, too long still a nightmare, a and still resulted in people getting left behind. Right. You, you, don't, I mean? you don't have, not only do you not have 18 months, you don't have a month. Like what, what, kind of, <laughs> what kind of danger is it that's going to get you in like a month and a half? 
Maybe I mean, there are some that you can foresee. Maybe the battle lines are slowly working their way in your direction across the country, and it's potential danger. But like a lot of, a lot of the actual threats to us in this life are just not, they come out of nowhere, and they're immediate, and you need to leave. It's yeah, actually so, a threat to your life. And so that's the first half of it. If you're a refugee, your best bet is to come to the United States and seek asylum not seek refugee status. Okay, so in that case, the solution is illegal immigration. Well, let's say you just want to move to the United States. You don't have a claim to refugee status. You're just a person who wants a better life. Okay, well, you can go and you can look at the process to apply and you realize, okay, it's like a 10-year process. Typically, you need to have like um, some kind of sponsor in the United States, some kind of connection that's going to help you out. You need to go through all of these hoops. Oh, and there's a, a an annual quota that is very small and based off of country. So if you're if you're in a large country like Mexico that wants to come to the United States and they've got a relatively small quota, you know that you can't. You know what I mean? Oh well, you're 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 from a random European country where not a bunch of people want to immigrate to the United States. Sure, you actually have a decent chance of it. You know what I mean? So yes. yeah, go. So if you're you know. If you're living in Sweden and want to go work in the United States, odds are you can make that happen. Not the same for Mexico. Not the same yeah, for a you're lot in of South, South America. American country. Yeah, exactly. Not. I was going to say Mexico, Central America, South America, it's much more complicated. Yeah, you're in South America. You don't have an education. Mm-hmm. You don't have the skills, which is going to elevate your application. You probably are going to struggle to pay the fees, which can be significant depending on what you're trying to do. Um, yeah. And so, or you can once again illegally immigrate in the United States, and then from there, there are a whole myriad of ways that you can actually gain legal status. I mean, there are currently, I'm not sure on the exact number, but I believe there are millions of people living in the United States right now who are legal, whether that's residency, green card, or citizenship, who came to the United States illegally. I mean, most people know someone personally who came to the United States illegally and is legal now. I know people, Dan knows people, almost everyone knows someone who's done that because it's a normal process. And that number is much larger per year than those tiny quotas for some of these countries. Yes. So, so no matter what's going on, so I just want to frame this, no matter what's going on, Odds are, statistically speaking, you have a better chance by illegally entering the United States than by applying any other legal system, which is why people do it. That's why you have millions of people coming into the United States illegally. Yeah, this is clearly an incentive problem, right? This is, if you're wondering why a ton of people show up illegally, um, it's that simple. America offers a lot, and I'm not talking about, uh, free stuff i'm talking about though though there is that too and that is certainly some kind of incentive america is a you can you can with no skills work at a job and get paid many times what people pay at even a high skills job in an in a in most south american country yeah, yeah right right you can even have a better life you will have a better life if you can be here you will have a better life so it's almost guaranteed if you can find a way to get in here and, and stay Mm-hmm. legal or illegal yeah and so, and so it, it that makes sense i don't i don't i have no i have exactly zero resentment for someone who's trying to have a better life 
who takes that risk. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and, and it's not even, if you think about it, like, obviously there are terrible things that happen along the border. There are crimes. Uh, Brad and I talked about them at one point. The, uh, the amount of, if you're a woman or even a young girl, there are, it's absolutely abhorrent how many crimes happen, and how much rape and sexual crime occurs in these circumstances. But at the same time, I can see why people are willing to take risks when it's going to dramatically change the rest of their life. A few days of, few days of heck to, uh, to enter what must seem like a paradise, mm-hmm. considering some mm-hmm. of the circumstances they're coming in, even if it's just ordinary middle-income poverty in a lot of these places, mm-hmm. right? It's, mm-hmm. it's just... It's just it takes a lot of courage to do that kind of thing. Um, and yes, they're breaking our laws. The weird thing is about our laws is to jump back to Martha's Vineyard and, and let's talk about these laws a little bit more. Um, the, the quick answer that we finally got, like I was still weirded out that he's flying them to other places. And the reason is it's illegal for him to fly them out of the country. Ron DeSantis and the state of Texas generally cannot deport people. The federal government deports people. It's a federal law. Sorry, I keep cutting you off. It's a federal law. It's not the state's problem. Well, it's not the state's business to do it. It is the state's problem. Yeah, and so and so that's what we get into here with, with this political stunt. So what happens to people who get apprehended in the United States, you know, especially close to the border? Well, large amounts of them, I mean, we're talking thousands and thousands of people, get dropped off at local jurisdictions and ask those local jurisdictions to hold on to them until they can be processed. So you have Border Patrol, you have ICE, you have all of these people showing up, getting apprehended, but they're not being held in federal facilities. They're getting dropped off in these border towns, all sorts of random cities, you know, across many southern states, whether it's Texas, Arizona, etc., and said, okay, hold them here, and then so we can initiate all of these judicial processes, which are lengthy and which are just, 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 just such a, a statistical, a statistical problem. You, you listen to some conservatives like, like Ben Shapiro will talk about, uh, talk about some of this, about the number of people who are who are being dropped off in these small towns where you'll have, you know, as many as several thousand showing up every week in a relatively small town, that's an incredible influx of people. You know, you think 50 showing up in Martha's Vineyard is bad. Having several thousand show up at once is is absolutely nuts. Yeah, and the numbers can get crazy. Like at the worst, they've had over 100,000 in a week in a town that was about that size. It's like 150,000 people or something like that. They'll have they'll have places that for periods of time will regularly get ten thousand people a week. It, that's what it, what are you supposed to do? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, like like this is not with at a federal facility with lots of you know with the foods incoming to feed the people the number you know this isn't like a predicted inflow of of prisoners at a prison or something like that right This is just people dropped off. No place to stay, no resources, and no doubt the federal government then tries to arrange things. But this is why you get, uh, there was that famous footage of like 
uh, something like 10,000 people in an area kind of living under this bridge, just in open air camps, because there's just no place for them to stay in some mm-hmm. of these little towns. This, this truly is 50 people in Martha's Vineyard is not the same as tens of thousands of people in a border town, right? This is a, this is a whole different scale and it's not something you can plan for in advance. Yeah, and, and that more than anything is is the problem that should be brought to light by this political stunt is, okay, in the South, there really is a problem going on. There really is a crisis, a humanitarian crisis, not even just an immigration crisis, but a humanitarian crisis that's going on and taking place on a regular basis that isn't being solved, that something needs to be done now about this problem. And with that sentiment, we totally agree. You know what I mean? That regardless of how you feel about whether or not people should be allowed to come into this country under existing law and existing systems, they can get in. Clearly, they can get in. They have to be able to be given this due process once they get in. And something needs to be done in the meantime. You know what I mean? You may believe, okay, well, the border should have been sealed up. Well, it's not sealed up. You may believe there should be open borders and people should be allowed to come in. That's not happening right now. You know what I mean? Right, that's not Wherever the law you... and that's not what's being enforced. Yeah. And and so right now we have a problem and that needs to be addressed. Yeah, it's it's a such a weird place because what we have is we have laws on the books. And this is I mean the conservative claim at this point is basically just just enforce the law, right? Is is what they'll say. Um And Democrats seem to want different laws, but they don't change them. They just try not to enforce the law. And and it leaves us in this weird place where I think the laws are actually terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Right? But they're not being applied. But the result is not good either. And so... All of that is is wonderful in theory, or or maybe you maybe you hate that, maybe you love that in theory, and and what should be happening and what would be ideal. In practice, what it means is there are a bunch of towns in Texas, in Arizona, especially and in California, um, where you get tens of thousands of people living in a town at the expense of who, and yeah. they're going to go through years of legal processes that they can't that these little towns can't possibly <laughs> you know that it's just overwhelming the resources and the time of uh of the the judges and the police and the you know the the facilities there and the result is that we get these we get a couple areas that are just absorbing massive amounts of people temporarily expected to kind of keep track of them and help with all these different things and they can't they can't really do that they don't have the resources and mm-hmm. and so it's just like in in practice whereas before we talked a lot about what would be ideal laws in our previous episode on this in practice what is happening right now is ludicrous <laughs> mm-hmm. brad and i kept and- getting to points in this where we're like wait and then what happens? Like, how does it end up with, how do we end up with tens of thousands of people living in open air camps? What are they waiting for? Like, what is happening? We know they're illegal, but what's happening? Oh, they're going through these legal processes. Oh, the legal process actually makes sense. You need some process. You, you don't want 
you don't want you don't want people just because they don't have the right papers to be assumed that they're guilty. Like Brad said, we don't want to have to start carrying around identity cards and uh, having our guards speak in a Russian accent asking for our papers, please. <laughs> Every time I sit, I think of carrying around papers. I think of the movie Anastasia. I don't. I, it's I don't. Unavoidable. Don't ask him why. Don't ask him why. Everyone else goes to you know Nazi Germany for papers, but not <laughs> not Dan. He's a special character. It's the rumor, the legend. He breaks into song. Something. Da, 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 da. I don't. I can't remember the words. Saint Petersburg, right? I don't know. That's right. That's right. Anyways, anyways. Another another aspect of this is is that this legal system is getting dragged out, and and this is my personal belief is the reason it's getting dragged out is because it's being exploited by people who are trying to help immigrants. That people who don't have the clout and don't have the power to change the massive bureaucracy that is Congress to actually change the laws, instead what they're doing is tweaking them so that even though you're, you're, you're apprehended in the United States, you're proven to be an illegal immigrant, or you admit it, you still have the option of staying in the United States if you can jump through enough of these hoops. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So right now we really have this havesies process where technically if you're illegal, you should get deported unless this, 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 or that. And a lot of those things have to do with hardship, have to do with how long you've been here, have to do with all of these different criteria that are designed to try and let more and more people stay in the United States, which is something I personally am not opposed to. I think that's actually what we want is more immigration into the United States. But the problem is, is because of this Havsies system, we're not set up for it. We're not set up for it because technically we're supposed to just be apprehending and deporting. Instead, we're apprehending, holding for years, and then potentially stay, potentially deporting. And it's just become this mess that we aren't dealing with. And so what I would love, what I would love is for liberals and all of those who are in favor of a more open and free immigration policy to, to rise to the opportunity here that's been presented by this by this stunt and say, yes, this is a problem and we need to put our money where our mouth is and actually do something to deal with this humanitarian crisis and preferably actually do something to clean up this system. Because if you're going to let them stay, holding them in a detention center for two years first is not correct, is not just, you know what I mean? (laughs) And if you're going to deport them, holding them for a detention center for two years before then doesn't help them out either. You know what I mean? Time doesn't equal justice. As much as we in the United States yeah. like to believe it does, you know what I mean? Having a criminal, uh, a criminal suspect wait three years before his trial is also an absolutely ludicrous policy that takes place on a regular basis because our system is so, so inflexible and hodgepodge and built one piece on top of another of each other with no ability to have fundamental change. Yeah. We, we did an episode where we talked about that with the, the guy who drove through the, was it Wisconsin parade and he uh-huh. got out on, there was the bail questions. And so we talked mm-hmm. about this process of how, how people get stuck in, 
in, in a situation where if they're innocent, we are horribly wronging them. We are punishing an innocent person. And if they're guilty, let's, let's get to it. Like, like three uh-huh. years isn't going to help you gather evidence. You don't, you don't what the, if there was a crime committed, right? You, you, everything you need is there within the crime scene. Like the longer you wait, the worse off you're going to be in terms of in gathering evidence, but that's not what's taking so long, right? It's various mm-hmm. legal processes mm-hmm. and bureaucracy and, and courts being backed up and, and the kind of things that, that are really management errors rather mm-hmm. than necessary things. And if you want to see backed up bureaucracy, you should see, <laughs> imagine what's happening in these small towns where mm-hmm. you, mm-hmm. where it, at one point, uh, they got, if you look at the numbers, it's, it's crazy. There are literally millions of people making it across the borders and getting into this place where they need to be, where they're caught and they're detained and they're put somewhere to await this process. Millions of people. If you think about just the sheer man hours that are wasted dealing with this, these processes, and this is one of my favorite parts. This is just a a little aside. These people are, it is illegal for them to work until they have been here for 180 days. At, at which a point, minimum. at a minimum, at which point they can apply for a work authorization while they wait for their trial and other things to continue, right? This and, isn't, and that's primarily for those seeking asylum, right? Yes, presumably. Yes, that's that's primarily for people seeking asylum. It's possible the other people don't ever, you know, the illegal immigrants. Yeah. Don't- so the so the other the other immigrants they would have to they would have to actually apply for a bond for bail, and and that's just not practical for so many of these immigrants in these open air camps who just spent every last penny they had to get here. You know what I mean? They, they don't have those resources. They don't have those connections in order to make that happen. You know what I mean? Yeah, the immigration yeah. process is a mess. You know, I, had a, I have a friend that I've mentioned before whose, whose wife just recently went through a several-year uh, deportation process in order to stay in the country years, years after she first got her green card because of a paperwork mistake that was made years ago, right? And then years afterwards, it's discovered because she was trying to apply for U.S. citizenship, which is, you know, a normal thing. You know, you after a certain number of years with the green card, you can apply for U.S. citizenship. They find the mistake from the past, and they're like, oh, well, we're going to deport you now, right? Completely <laughs> logical. So then they go through this several-year process in order for her just to stay in the country. She's been here... I don't know, like 25 years, ridiculously long time. Right. You know, and over, over 10 of those was with a green card. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. So, so all of this is going on. It's this several year process here in the state of Utah. So this is not one of these border towns that's overwhelmed with huge open air camps, right? This is somewhere that's relatively far away from the border, shouldn't have a huge backlog of immigration cases, you'd think. Right. And yet still, it took way longer than it was supposed to. The court dates were delayed over and over and over again. All of these things kept coming up. And this is with a an, a lawyer who specializes in immigration, an, an expensive lawyer that they had to pay you know, a monthly fee to, even if nothing was happening. And all of this 
resulted in a several-year process in a state that's not backed up. You know what I mean? So imagine how much worse things are if, number one, you're one of of 20,000 immigrants in an open-air camp who are trying to go to this one court building down the street to handle this process. You know what I mean? You're trying to fill out You're the trying paperwork. to meet with your lawyer. Yeah, exactly. But you don't have any money, so you're just getting who, whoever's assigned to help you out. You know what I mean? You may not speak the language. You know what yep. I mean? Unlike, translator. Mm-hmm. unlike my friend's you know, wife. Like, it was just, just a whole – like, they had everything going for them. Yeah, everything going years. for them. They had contacts. They had, you know, I mean, he was a U.S. citizen. I mean, he's a U.S. citizen. And so that helped their case. They had connections. They had money. They had, you know, a fantastic lawyer. And they weren't one of 20,000 in a camp. And yet it was still a several-year process that was dicey at best. You know what I mean? Yeah, can and we so- all agree that, that qu- quicker courts should be a very high priority that 100% of the country wants? <laughs> like is, is there a downside to operating, say, twice as fast? Cut that down to a year and a half at least? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like this isn't no kidding. There's some controversy no here I'm not aware of where it's like... Especially because so many of these delays are literally postponed court dates. And the thing with a postponed court date is you have to have everything ready for that first court date. So when it postpones, it doesn't help you. You know what I mean? You had everything ready for that day. You like, I mean, for a criminal case, you had witnesses ready. You've, you've taken off work. You know what I mean? You've got your lawyer here who studied all this stuff. Now you got to postpone. Now you have to do all of that again. You know what I mean? It doesn't make it easier. Mm -hmm. It makes it harder on top of the extra time. Yes. uh, There's the constitutional amendment. Um, You may know it off the top of your head. The the right to a speedy trial is included in one of the amendments. I just think, geez, boy, have we lost that. <laughs> what, what on earth constitutes speedy anymore? <laughs> They're like, you will be alive for the trial as long as you're in good health and young when it starts. <laughs> when you're accused. That's, that's right. Exactly. Exactly. That's right. It's so many points along this process. The states, so Texas obviously has a major interest in doing something. And every time they try and do something, not every time, they found a few things they can do. But in general, when they try and do things, it gets shot down by the federal government who says, no, 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 that's because immigration laws are federal laws. Now, Which they act- should be. It makes sense. That makes some sense. Originally, that was not the case. Originally, every state basically did their own thing. And originally, they basically had no incentive to do anything. So immigration was, <laughs> there, was there were requirements for owning property. And, uh, and those, those requirements were often discriminatory and not just against, <laughs> not just against uh, uh, blacks, which should be unsurprising at the time of the, the American Revolution, where in some states they were uh, treated extremely poorly, but, uh, but also other, uh, uh, there were lots of funny, I say funny, there were lots of, Ran- they're funny in because of how random they are and arbitrary they mm-hmm. are, where they're like, mm-hmm. you know, this particular state didn't care so much for Asian immigrants, <laughs> or this particular state really disliked Roman Catholics. Yeah, back when, back when state-endorsed uh, prejudice was just, was just standard. Just part of the norm. Standard yeah, practice. You, yeah, your state was designed in part because you were tired of being excluded and you wanted to do some excluding yourself. Yeah, exactly. Um, you you'd created a a religious 
state essentially and and you wanted to you wanted it for people like you and that was that was pretty normal back then but but anyway uh, i digress so where does that leave us then that leaves us with an incredibly broken system and maybe fundamentally one of the problems here is that they are primarily conservative states who are dealing with the problem and these are the conservative states who are anti-immigration already and so the federal government and lots of other people tend to ignore them. You know what I mean? I've never paid attention to this before. I've never paid attention to it. When when they've complained about the, you know, the immigration crisis, I assume they were talking about immigrants coming into the United States illegally and stealing our jobs, you know what I mean? Or the rhetoric. Yes. Yes. Not mm-hmm. an actual crisis where it's like, "Hey, we don't have the resources to handle this," which is fundamentally different and a lot less partisan. Yeah. And so 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 that leaves me thinking, yeah, I mean, the political stunt, there were some drawbacks to it. There were some questions of people being used as pawns. Um, but assuming none of them were lied to, none of them were misinformed, and none of them were mistreated, at the end of the day, I'm glad this happened. You know what I mean? I'm glad this happened so that we have the opportunity as a country to look at what's going on and say we need to do something about this because this is something yeah. – that we are doing. This is our federal policy that is encouraging people to enter the United States illegally and then to go through these processes in these in these places. And so we have a responsibility to provide for them, to to come up with a system that handles it much more efficiently so that we're not providing for them in an open air camp for years and years, but rather a much shorter time which is better for them and way better for us. You know, and that may cost more in, in the short run but in the long run. It's going to save whoever's currently paying for these camps. I assume it's split. I assume the, the federal government's offering some resources, but it's never actually enough and that the states are having to step in. But it's going to save all of these groups money because you're not going to be keeping them here for so long. Yeah. It's going to be better for the immigrants so that they can actually get their lives moving forward instead of spending years waiting and it's going to be better for the people in these areas who are having to you know turn their lives around in order to deal with i mean this mass influx in these camps because yes. because if you're going to argue that that having a you know a camp population of 100,000 inside a town of 100,000 doesn't negatively affect that town you're just that's you're absolutely wrong. You know what I yeah. mean? It's going to have serious economic consequences. Yeah, it would be one thing to say your population is going to increase by 100,000. It's entirely different to say there's going to be 100,000 people here and they can't work and they're not yeah. going to be here for very long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we don't know how long. <laughs> we don't know yeah. how long. And uh, and then who knows where they're going to be after that. Maybe they'll be deported. Maybe they'll be allowed to stay and they're going to go somewhere else. But uh, for now, you just have to deal with it, right? That's not, that's just a weight. There's no boon there, right? There's no, uh, a, a town, I think there are times where uh, with, with Brad and I's preference for immigration, you could have significant increases in population and it would take a while for that to, you know, to, to play out well. Initially, there would be hardships, um, but um, <laughs> But it's very different than this it's very, because they'd be coming to work, right? They would be, the point would be they would want to be doing things. Whereas right now we're like, you know what we think you should do? 
we think you should sit on your rear for an indefinite amount of time. I don't know how long it's going to be much longer than anybody wants. And we're just going to figure out all the details of your life for you. But you can't go anywhere. Like, who is this good for? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just a mess. It's just a mess. We want, a, we want an immigration policy that's on purpose. It, it would be almost as if, you know how people are talking about removing the bail system? You know, and removing the cash bail, excuse me. It would mm-hmm. be as if people were proposing that we remove the cash bail and replace it with a no-bail system. You know, why don't we just have them all wait in jail until their court dates, you know? Why not throw an extra 2 million people in, in jail while they await these decisions for years and years? Because that's a horrible idea. You know what I mean? It's it's yeah. awful for them. It's super expensive. It's like, okay, well, that's what we're doing over here with immigration. Why isn't it a horrible idea here if it's a horrible idea there? Yeah, it's it, and I think ultimately it comes down to we just we just didn't know what was happening there. I really didn't. I had no idea that this is what was happening here. And I'm I'm living in Texas right now, right? I, I'm in northern Texas, but but it, and we've talked about immigration a lot. <laughs> I think that's one of the things that we think about all the time. I had no idea what the actual physical process were looking like. And what that implied for the people that are actually managing the day-to-day mm-hmm. influx of people, of, of millions of people. It's a, it is broken. It is really, really broken. <laughs> and something needs to give. I think, and especially for the sake of the immigrants, uh, you, you mentioned somewhat too. Uh, it's this, we don't want people gambling on getting into the country this way. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't want people sitting stuck for long periods of their life where we're not even allowing them to work and do something meaningful, right? That's, that's not a good way to live. That's a sure path to depression and anxiety where your future's uncertain and you're just forced to just stay there. Um, these kind of things are just, this is just not good for anybody. In, in the open air too, it's not like we're, this is great sanitary, you know, <laughs> clean and whatnot. It's just... This is not good for the the people, even if you do want them here in this country. There's, there's, there are better ways. We sh- we really need to clean up this system. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's 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 urgent. You know what I mean? It needs to be. It it's needs an emergency. To be done. It warrants and, that. And yeah. large parts of it are nonpartisan. You know, we don't have to solve the whole immigration crisis in order for us to come up with solutions to the current problems now. Yeah, I think that's that's a great point. You don't have to get the the you don't have to push it to the perfect <laughs> the perfect Trump anti-immigration or the the perfect uh, you know high immigration thing uh, to to address the fact that there are serious problems right now on the border. And so let's let's all get behind it and push the government to do something. With that, thank you for listening. This has been an episode of Rethinking Politics. You can find us on all of the major podcasting apps or on YouTube. You can reach out to us at rethinkingpoliticspodcast at gmail.com or you can visit our website at rethinkingpolitics.podbean.com where you can support us via Patreon. Thanks. Have a wonderful day.